Welcome to Reputation Town. Welcome to Reputation Town. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks, but we're back. This is Warren Weeks, and I'm joined by the Prince of Public Relations, John Paranak. John, how are things <laughs> in your world? Uh, I'm, well, I feel okay. How about you? Uh, I'm just getting over the COVID, so uh, I'm feeling super ah. immune. And uh, you get the patch now. Do you get it? Look at those out, right? Patches, badges. <clears throat> I have to say, it's persistent, but it was. Uh, I got a very mild case. Hopefully, the vaccination played a role in that but uh, if i sound a little like kermit the frog i apologize to everybody and hopefully we'll be able to shake that voice thing in a couple of weeks and as such we are doing this virtually of course okay so we have uh, any, oh, any off topic stuff you want to mention before we jump into uh, our we have we have um, so much stuff to talk about i think we should just dive jump right, right in. in okay so the first one then this has been uh, playing out for uh, the better part of a month now but obviously the war in ukraine and we wanted to talk, I think, because we've been sending messages back and forth about uh, President Zelensky and the who's winning the public relations war. The military war, we'll leave that because I know you're uh, that's you are an expert in and an aficionado of all things military. So I'd love to chat about that a little bit. But from a public relations standpoint, uh, I think it's pretty obvious who's winning that war. But what are some of the takeaways you've had from watching this guy in action who is I have to say more than a month ago, he was probably not known to most people. And now he's become this iconic figure. So uh, your thoughts on Zelensky, what he's doing and how it's working. Well, just uh, that's a great question. But before we get there, I think the interesting thing about this whole uh, communications uh, exercise we're seeing unfolding uh, in parallel with the war is the Ukrainians have an interest and need to win hearts and minds in Europe and beyond. The Russians, they don't, they don't care. All, 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 all Putin cares about is making sure that the people in Russia are getting the narrative that he wants to control. So they're not even trying to do anything in the rest of the world, to be honest. I think all they care about is China and, and Russia. But at any rate, you know, I think by all accounts, I would say that um, this is like a masterful example of public relations. And I'd actually like to hear about your perspectives on him as a as an individual, but I just zero in on the, um, uh, the way they've so adeptly seeded um, myth within the Western media to galvanize people's attention and the hearts and minds of people like go back to the beginning of this. And there was, remember that snake Island where, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, those initial Ukrainians were meant to supposed to kill. Go after yourself. You know, exactly. Yeah. Russian <laughs> and then uh, the, the, the ghost of Ukraine, the pilot who became an ace overnight, like none of those things actually happened. The sunflower sea the way, lady. Yeah. Sunflower sea lady. Like none of them actually happened, but they were seated in the Western media and people like jumped hook, line and sinker yeah. took this. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's so important though, that they do that because that directly relates to the amount of, you know, uh, shooting <laughs> that the Ukrainians can do like guns and ammo, right? They, they get, it just, it directly relates to how much of that they're getting. But, um, like as a person, as you, as an observer of him as a, as a leader, how would you, how would you see him performing? It's been, I, I can't remember a, uh, 
I can't remember a politician or a leader who has had this, this impression on me. I got to go back to like a Winston Churchill or something like that to have a a figure who is, this is like watching the movie gladiator in real life on, on TikTok, you know, and on Twitter, he's been very concise, simple messages. Uh, I, I feel like this is a genuine guy. These are all the things we talk about with communications, right? Leadership crisis, all this stuff. The fact that he is there on the ground how many times have we seen situations like this where the president or whoever the prime minister, as soon as there's any indication of fighting, they're in a chopper and they get the hell out of there. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. this to, to have him there and doing all these addresses, I just I keep thinking, how exhausted is this guy mentally, physically, not seeing your family and then having the wherewithal to have these meetings and talk to these governments. And he's talking to Canadians and he's referencing Canadian landmarks, Canadian cities. He's talking to the Americans and he's, uh, he's referencing speeches from Martin Luther King. He's talking to all these different people and his remarks are customized and catered, but also you just feel genuine. Like he's trying to make an impact. The clarity of thought that he has in the middle of a war is unbelievable. And so uh, e- even down to his, <clears throat> excuse me, his handling of of the, uh, the, the the technical aspects, like there was one video that I saw where he has his phone, I'm guessing it's like an iPhone, where he has a smartphone and he's doing an address straight into the camera and he's walking down this hallway towards his office. And as he gets to his desk, I don't know if you've seen this one, but as he gets to the desk, the feed switches instantaneously and he sits down and now it's a professional shot, high res with the flag behind him. Like just these seamless little things that you know, like the stuff behind the scenes is so difficult to get all that stuff right. And it's just it's just uh, really been been done well. And uh, the you talked about hearts and minds and this is a battlefield as well. This the the public domain and the court of public opinion is is a battlefield as well. And so, uh, what what they're doing, I think people are going to be studying in in textbooks. It, you know, it remains to be seen how this whole thing's going to play out. And that's what I want to ask you about when we get to the end of this is like, what do you think militarily is going to happen? Um, but what you know, what what do you think that this guy is the real deal? What we're seeing on on Twitter and on these videos and in these interviews is this the real deal? I think so, and I think he is benefiting from his experience as an actor and performer to do hit some of the notes that you're just talking about, even down to the costume he wears, right? Like the, the olive drab unshaven, like, I don't want to make little, I don't want to belittle it, but I think he's, he's, he's intentionally um, doing this. Like there was somebody in the U S I can't remember who was who made some sort of comment about, Oh, can't you even wear a suit? It's like stupid idiot. Like he's doing it on purpose because he is, he is like hunkered down in the bunker with his guys fighting the Russians. Like that is the persona he wants to project. Uh, Wearing the Savile Row suit is not, (laughs) it's not going to deliver the same, the same uh, sort of feeling. Anyway, because they they live and die based on how well how well how how well they can keep continue, um, uh, cont- having the West to continue you know supplying them. I saw the comment you're referring to. I forget the guy's name, but uh, he's getting you know, a ton of followers and you know big wig or whatever. But I've never seen anyone get roasted like that. The 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 ratio of negative comments it was it was unbelievable. And so I just I think. And and then you're thinking, oh, but maybe he's like he knew that was because he still hasn't deleted the tweet. So maybe this is him just like, oh, I'm I'm relevant too, and trying to put his yeah. his, his hat in the mix. So militarily, what do you think is going to play out? You're a student of history. You are a war buff, um, and not to put you on the spot, but like, how do you see maybe some options of this playing out? Do we need to start building uh, bomb shelters <laughs> anytime soon? Well, I guess there's two two thoughts I have. First is I'm really surprised that. Um, 
I would have expected that the Russians would have had air superiority, if not supremacy, pretty early on, and that has not happened. And that's uh, one of the reasons why um, they're incurring so many losses on the ground, right? If you don't control the skies, that's a problem. Uh, but the second thing I'll say is that if you look back at Russia from you know wars past, uh, they don't mind taking casualties. And so uh, th- they will just like, grind away and grind away and shell and, and drop rockets on places. And they'll be losing thousands of guys, but it's not going to really matter as much as it would for a Western army. So ultimately, you can't, I don't think you can win a war of attrition with them. So ultimately, I think what's going to happen is they're going to get to a point where they're just increasingly improving their negotiating position by squeezing around Kiev and connecting up a land bridge to connect the Crimea um, across the Sea of Azov back to um, um uh, back to those uh, sort of uh, breakaway republics on the eastern border that were sort of Russian dominated, and they're probably going to, you know, settle for some negotiated settlement that um, that just keeps all that, and they'll have a land bridge to Crimea where they have their warm water port, and then uh, the interesting thing will be then if you do get to that kind of end game, what happens to like the, um, the cities that have been destroyed? Well, not only cities have been destroyed, but like what does the West do in terms of all the sanctions that the private sector has thrown forward like i can i can never remember a situation where like governments can impose sanctions but there has been like a complete cancel culture move to cancel russia's connection with every like everything and uh and you know as much as we think of that and say oh great yeah that's amazing they're doing that there is a narrative where russians aren't necessarily looking at putin saying oh look how he's screwing up everything up a good amount of them are probably thinking these guys in the West are, are assholes for, for doing this to us. Why can't they leave us alone? Yeah. So uh, I don't know where that shoe's going to drop. So when you talked about building the bunker, uh, <laughs> I know you have a place. Who knows? I know you have a place. <laughs> anyway, that's my two cents. So when, when the, when the, when the missiles start to fly, I'm going to give you text and uh, send me the address. Um, <laughs> <That's right. clears throat> no, but very, very, very interesting. To, and, and, and just the fact that, I don't think we've ever seen a war play out like this because when, you know, the, the situation in Crimea took place, it wasn't in your face. Like no, not in social media. There wasn't a big, like it wasn't like this kind of destruction. And like you're, it's so strange to go through your feed and you have picture of a puppy, uh, the five books, Bill Gates wants you to read this year. And then seeing a first hand account from Ukraine, it's, it's uh, I can't remember anything like this, and it's I think this is going to be it, and and I think that's why the public has been so captivated by this and so engaged because it's on everybody's phone in a, in a, in, a, in a way we've never seen before. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we'll see how that plays out. Um, the next one is <clears throat> one that I saw on CBC. This is a news story from uh, March twenty second. So the headline of this is resort CEO under fire for sexist remark previously faced complaints over uh, alleged rape comments. So, okay, this is actually the follow-up to, to, to a story. So there is this uh, executive, his name's Vivek Sharma, and he was um, the CEO of Fairmont Hot Springs Resort in uh, British Columbia and not related to Fairmont Resorts. I just want to clarify um, because that was highlighted in all the articles. I'm pretty sure the people at Fairmont are like, we, we don't know this guy. So uh, the story is that 
it was March 9th, the day after International Women's Day, and he was at a conference giving a speech, and he um, tried to get everyone up in the room like, hey, all the women in the room, please stand up to recognize International Women's Day. And everyone stands up, and everyone's like clapping for you. You know, you've seen this kind of thing at conferences before. And then he says, now that everybody's standing up, he says, why don't you go and clean some rooms and do some dishes? And the, uh, who knows what the guy's thinking. Maybe he thinks he's a comedian. Maybe someone wrote that for him. I have no idea. But not, not none of this is an excuse. So he delivers the line. And my understanding, I haven't seen video of this. It's just in text. My understanding is that it became pretty clear immediately that it bombed. Like people like were booing and like just it, it didn't go well. And so he tries to start backpedaling. Hey, you know, I made a mistake. And then he comes out with an official apology later. And then he uh, steps away or is, is, is booted out of the place. So he's not uh, the CEO of this place anymore. And they had a statement on Twitter. You know, we don't condone this. It's unacceptable. Da, 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 da. So <clears throat> a couple things to, to think about here, because I think we've all been in boardrooms or in meetings and conferences where someone says something in that ballpark and you're thinking, and Oh my God, like this, this is, this is kind of not cool. And so um, given the fact that he can't go back in time and take it away, what's your advice from a public relations standpoint to um, first of all, an executive who might be like, I think humor is a really dangerous thing to, to, to play with in the best of times. What would be your advice to an executive giving a speech to help them avoid uh, a moment like this? Number one. And then number two, if something like this takes place, can you salvage your career? Can you fix this? Like, will this guy ever have a job in this sector again? Or is he just burnt toast? It's a good question. Well, you're, you're, you're a, a pound for pound, a funnier person than me. So I, I, I'd say, <laughs> I'd say you're better a judge of this, but generally speaking, I think if you're engaging in self-deprecating humor, it's pretty safe or it's certainly safer. If you're making fun of someone else or making light of someone else, uh, you better be really good friends with them <laughs> and have a good relationship so that you can, sort of have that kind of banter and, and not be offensive. This was just like, when you sent me the link, I honest to God, uh, I could not believe what I was reading. I'm thinking like, what the fuck was this guy thinking? It looks like satire. Like, like, like it's, it's, it's so like, not even, it's just, it's just disturbing that he thought that this was an, a, even funny. I don't know. Like you said, I don't know what's going on in his head, but okay. So how do, how do you fix this? If, if you find yourself in that situation, Wow. You know what? I think it's got to be the most, um, uh, I do two things. I think you have to have like a really solid, like heartfelt apology. And then you have to spend the next like five years, uh, volunteering or, or doing something to make amends. Um, and, um, I'm not sure what that looks like, but it's, some, you know, some sort of public service, uh, to clean up the, the, the wreckage that you've left behind uh, by, you know, you, Man. just demeaning people in that room that way. But even then, five, so half a decade, and still it's not guaranteed that you're going to be able to no, make it's it not. back to the same level you were at. Like no. if I'm, I'm imagining myself as a, uh, the chair of the board or someone on the staff and we're interviewing people in that sector and like, because this is not his first uh, go around too because this article comes out and it's very often you'll see the main story comes out and then a couple of days later, people come out of the woodwork and say, oh, back in the day. And so here's another one. Yeah. I don't think you've seen this one, but from 2016, someone says, um, 
Okay, so I'm reading from this article again, uh, but it, the allegations did not come as a surprise to this one individual who was the conference service and sales co- coordinator of Sun Peaks Grand Hotel and Conference Center when Sharma held a previous job as a general manager of the hotel. And she's one of three employees of the hotel located uh, northeast of Kamloops who've come forward to express their concerns about his behavior during a January 19th, 2016 town hall staff meeting. Quote from the woman, he was trying to, Vivek was uh, trying to basically motivate the staff after a very long and hard Christmas season, Bahula said. And then he said to us, and this is a quote attributed to him, well, sometimes you get raped. You just need to lay down, take it and enjoy it. Oh my God. And the whole room, of course, gasped. So uh, again, like how many, how many of these do you get and keep, and, 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 and that's a good point and have a chance to go back. So if I'm on the hiring committee and this guy's there, I'm like, what's the, what's the upside? What's the risk reward? And so, you know, it's all downside. You, you'd like to believe in, in, in second chances, but at a certain point, it's just like, there's probably a lot of other qualified candidates out there. And like, uh-huh. you'd think if you, if you'd said something like that and every, and apparently people were just obviously livid and disgusted and, and they, they made a big scene about it. You'd probably stop cracking jokes at, at, in meetings and conferences. So anyway, bring that up. Um, I, I think the best approach is just to not, not say it just like try to don't try to be funny. So I'll ask you this to put you on the spot who, if there's anyone in the world who can deliver a line like that, you know, go and clean the rooms or whatever. If there's anyone in the world who could deliver that line and get away with it, who do you think it would be? Cause I, have I don't a, think, I have I don't a, think I have anyone a, could in, in not in the business world, in the comedy world. In the comedy world, uh, I don't. I'm not. Even, I don't know. I. I. I, I just, I'm thinking Bill Burr. Yeah, maybe that this is in Bill Burr's, yeah. but he, but like even with him, he would deliver it, and the rules are separate and whatever. But he would deliver it in a way that you bo- you you totally know that that's not how he feels because yeah, you see yeah, him with his yeah. wife, and he's like he just you know he's making fun of himself almost as much as anyone else. But even for him, this is the hand grenade with the pin out. So. Um, humor, very dangerous. Don't say things like this. Very, very bad. Okay. Um, the next one you, you sent to me, this is about we work and, uh, the, and we're, and we're going back to the Russia Ukraine situation. So do you want to give us a quick uh, synopsis of this? Sure. And this goes back to the point about, um, you know, the, the cancellation of Russia's economy. Uh, so, uh, in, in the in immediate aftermath of the start of the war, there was a whole slew of companies that, you know, talked about pulling out, um, uh, and you know, as momentum, as momentum gained, uh, organizations started to be asked about whether they were going to pull out or not. And one of the ones that was, was WeWork, which is, uh, as people probably know, it's like a shared office space company where if you need office space, you know, or rent your own office, you can rent as much as you need from these guys. And there's a whole story behind them. It's too long to get into, but at any rate, um, the, the CEO, uh, when asked said, um, they're not likely going to exit Russia where their business does quote incredibly well. And, and this was sort of met with a a lot of like raised eyebrows and, and shock because that may be the case, but that's not the, that's not the context that, that these companies are being asked this in, right. They're being asked it in the context of like, an, an unprovoked attack, military attack on civilians. And uh, does that, is that worth more than, or does that count more than your, your profits? Uh, so anyway, I think subsequently they did, uh, they changed course and a couple and, days uh, later, I think. Yeah. 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 But uh, it just, it just speaks to the, uh, 
you know, maybe, maybe the CEO hadn't uh, thought this through with the team or maybe they hadn't yeah. actually had time to determine what they were going to do. And so he was just reacting in the moment and saying, oh, we do really well there. I think we're going to stay the course. And maybe it wasn't clear that this was going to be as widespread, right? Like we haven't ever seen this kind of disconnection of a entire economy the way it has been. But oh. um, uh, but anyway, uh, this goes to show this idea of when when events are happening in the world as a company, either the media or your own people are going to increasingly ask you to to take a side or or have a view on it. And uh, it's important to have the thinking in place or at least the structure in place to think through those kinds of challenges. And with WeWork, one of the things that it brings up is the fact that um, depending on how a company handles itself over the course of years, you kind of have, it's the name of the show, you have a reputation. And Mm -hmm. if you put enough credits in that reputation bank over time, people will give you the benefit of the doubt in a certain situation. And WeWork is one of those companies that didn't have any credit. They, They have a deficit in the reputation bank. And so I think people were extra quick to jump on them. And there's that Netflix documentary. I don't know if you've seen that about the, uh, the founder, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the interview that the CEO did was on February 28th. So it's pretty early in the, it's like a couple days in. And so yeah. I think that you can sort of excuse his comments based on that. You know, it's like kind of early things weren't, you know, maybe McDonald's and Starbucks and everybody hadn't pulled out at that time. And so he made the comment. I do believe what you said. I think he was probably just making it up in real time, just coming up with an answer and which speak to the importance of media training. You never speculate, never answer hypothetical Mm -hmm. questions, especially with something that large. And, um, but that reputation piece, I think that uh, the fact that, people already have had enough of, 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 of we work in a lot of places. I think people jumped on them a little extra quickly than they would have with maybe another company. And, and just, I'll just add that the dynamic you just articulated about <clears throat> having that reputational bank that's applies to people as well as companies. And so the guy a minute ago who, you know, had, he had a huge reputational deficit to begin with. Um, he continued digging. And so sometimes there's a hole you just can't get out of, or you're not going to ever get back to this back near the surface. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the next one we have to talk about is Disney. And this is another one that you had, uh, emailed to me about, and I had quickly read the piece. Um, the headline here is uh, the one that I'm looking at from NPR. Disney workers walk out over the company's response to so-called don't say gay bill. So do you want to kind of bring us up to speed on this? And, uh, this is a topic that we've mentioned on the show a couple times in the past with the politicization of issues like this and companies getting pulled in where maybe 10 years ago, this you wouldn't have seen this kind of thing happening. Yeah, exactly. So this legislation in Florida, which looks like it's going to be uh, signed by the governor, basically restricts the ability of teachers uh, to discuss um, gender and sexuality with, um, with grade school kids. And it's become a bit of a... controversial discussion because people see it as a way to, to not uh, talk about um, about gender or, or those sorts of things with children who may or may not be gay. And they, they see this as a way to, to, you know, put, roll back the progressive uh, work that's been done to not discriminate against people based on their sexuality. Uh, Disney was initially asked if they had a view on it and the CEO at the time basically deferred and said, look, we're not going to get involved in that discussion. We're going to focus on actually promoting positive um, um, uh, 
images of, of varied families like our show um, uh, A Modern Family and, and other ones he mentioned. But then he, there was a, a number of employees who started um, urging the company to take a stand. So they, they came out and took a stand against this bill, which then put them in the crosshairs of the governor who's using them as a foil. And he's using them as a foil because he's trying to, I guess, motivate his base. Some say that the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, is going to run for president. And yeah. so he's you know setting himself up that way. So this is a good, a good foil for him to... Uh, to have and to um, and to motivate his base. At any rate, the the thing that struck me was that this is you know some may say this is an an example why companies shouldn't be involved or shouldn't speak up on topics of politics or you know that are socially uh, socially pro- progressive. Um, but you know others would say that, you know if your employees are demanding it and it's the right thing to do, you should do it. I don't know. What what, what are your thoughts on this, Warren? I find the tactic odd of attacking you're the governor of the state and you're attacking arguably one of the the biggest, most well-known companies, this iconic brand Disney, you're, you're publicly attacking them in the media and on social media. This is also new. I think, I don't think, you know, to me, it's a little bit of a Donald Trump tactic. That's, I think the person Mm -hmm. who kind of made this sort of famous and you know, whatever your politics are, that seemed to work for him politically. He knew how to use, the, the levers of the media very effectively. And so I think there's a little bit of that because how much, how responsible is Disney for, for, for how much of Florida's tax base? And when it comes to like hotels and, and flights and tourism and just, you know, millions and millions and untold millions of dollars. And so I find that, uh, I find that sort of, sort of odd, but it's, again, you have these, these just <clears throat> the, the two polar opposites. I think he actually uh, called them a woke company, right? Like, wasn't mm-hmm. that one of his he comments? Did. I think you referenced yeah, that. He did. And so it's uh Really, but take take your take your issue, take your topic. This is what you're just seeing: the two ends of the political spectrum, just like screaming at each other. And then this stuff gets played out on media and social media. And so, um, as far as as Disney's concerned, they're like they probably should have done something else a little more quickly. We were talking before we started taping about I think it was Coinbase, the company that had sent out that infamous memo now saying, you know, we're not talking about politics. This is not the place. This is where we work. And people kind of went, meh, 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 and they went kind of crazy. And 10% of their employees ended up leaving. And that was the end of the discussion. And so you don't see this happen at their company anymore. And so um, <clears throat> a different way to, to approach it. I'm not sure if I have a strong opinion one way or another, but um, watching these things play out is fascinating from a uh, from an issues management standpoint. And ultimately becomes a crisis management at some point, but a uh, very interesting one. Yeah. And you know what? From DeSantis' point of view, he probably doesn't think there's much risk here, right? Because... You can beat up Disney a little bit. What's Disney going to do, right? They're not picking up stakes and moving out of the state. Like, that's not possible. It's not going to change. Like, Ron DeSantis talking about Disney in this context is not going to change the number of the 20 million tourists who come to Florida for Disney every year. So it's it's kind of a riskless proposition for him from that perspective. It's not like but, they're going to move the place. Like, you well, know, that's it's it, not like right? Elon Musk. He picked up his factory and he moved it. They're not going to move Disney. <laughs> that's right. I think for Disney's perspective, you know, they're probably looking at this and saying, geez, is this really worth it? Um, did, um, is the controversy the company and the brand is involved in worth the uh, benefit we've got from employees? That's a hard equation to figure out, right? And where do you draw the line? Like once you've gotten involved in this topic, where do you draw the line for the next one? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm not sure there's an easy answer for that. 
I think it's it's one of these things where if you do have the policy like Coinbase, it makes it really easy because it's a clear cut. We're, we're here to, we're to focus on business when we're at the office and we're not going to get involved in those other things. But sometimes uh, the pressure like Black Lives Matter was such that um, it isn't possible to do that. Uh, now, I guess that's part of the equation. Every company's got to determine what they're comfortable with. The next one that we wanted to chat about was the, what was it called? The Pay Gap app. So uh-huh. anyway, we haven't done an episode in what, probably the better part of a month. So we're just catching up on some of these. Some of these stories are a little, little out of date. The Pay Gap app, uh, if you haven't heard about it, there were two 27-year-olds in, um, I think, where are they from? I think they're from Manchester. And they, um, for uh, International Women's Day, again, March 8th, all these companies putting out these posts and people, you know, with their arms crossed and stop the bias, you can do it. International Women's Day, and they're like putting out all their female executives. And it's a really feel-good day. And sort of like with Bell Let's Talk, it's become a little, people are becoming a little more jaded about it over the years. There used to be this like, oh my God, it's so exciting. And a lot of it, I think people are reacting because it seems like performative, performance PR. And so these two 27-year-olds, and I love the fact that they're these young people. Any company with over 250 employees has uh, their, I think there's like 13,000 companies in this database. They had uh, taken their um, median pay rates of all their employees and they had made it public. And so these two individuals, one is, I think she works in social media and the other guy is a coder, their uh, girlfriend, boyfriend. And they created a little program that basically every time a company would tweet something about International Women's Day, this program would go and go into this big database and find what the pay gap was and it would tweet about it. And so they had these very, um, very... uh, unemotional just very factual tweets so they would they would reference the tweet below so you have this picture of these women with their arms crossed and then above it it would say their pay gap is 22.9 percent or you know the women in this company make 22.9 percent or 42 or in some cases like 66 percent less than the men and um, they went from I think 2000 followers on one day to 120,000 followers the same day and people tons, millions of dollars of media coverage, Washington post, New York times, huge story around the world. And it's basically exposing a lot of these companies who just have it in their content calendar to put something out. But then on the actual operational level, they're treating their employees in a completely different way and they're not paying women the, the same as men. And so what ended up happening is a lot of these companies that kept getting flagged or called out would then go and delete their posts. And then some other individual created a thread of all those companies. So if you wanted to see all the companies who deleted their posts and blocked the, this this organization, you could see all those. So, Well, and, and I think it just shows the, the importance of not completely disconnecting your issue management machinery within a company from like what's happening elsewhere, like marketing and communications. Like I'm sure someone had a calendar thought, Oh yes, we must do a <laughs> a tweet on this day or Instagram post on this day about this topic and has like no, no uh, filter to look at and say, well, wait a second, as a risk to us here, uh, despite the fact we want to celebrate uh, international women's day, uh, maybe this isn't the way to do it for us until we can get uh, better parity in our wages. You know what this kind of reminds me of is remember the guy with the guitar, Dave Carroll? Do you remember in 2009? This is the guy from Halifax. I think he's from Eastern Canada. And he was on United Airlines and they broke his guitar. Oh, yeah. In handling. And 
this was the first time that a customer, because everybody's had a story like that. Everyone hates the airlines for different reasons. And you would complain to them and they would, they basically say, what are you going to do? You know, mm-hmm. go screw yourself. This is the first guy who wrote that song. Not not a great song, but it really caught on. And I remember that that song, it was called United Breaks Guitars. And it's got like 16, 17 million views still today. And <laughs> that became his career. He goes out and he does the rubber chicken dinner circuit talking about customer service and, and all that. I think this is a moment like that. To me, the Dave Carroll guitar thing was the first time the customer had a voice because the airline's thinking, what are you going to do? And now it's like, oh my God, this is what they can do. They can create this viral (laughs) thing. And so to pay for his guitar, I think it was $3,000 that they would have had to pay. And they ended up getting tens of millions of dollars in negative publicity because of that. And once the song came out and once it was on the news, Peter Jennings was talking about it. They called him up and said, hey, we'll fix your guitar. Well, it's too late by that point. And so uh, similar to this, these companies that are embracing social media and they're putting out these posts on LinkedIn and Twitter, this doesn't even cross their minds that someone is going to take this information, cross-reference it and like punch them back in the face with it, with a stat from their own company. And so I think this is the beginning of a whole new kind of um, reverse marketing. And I think you're going to see a lot of this kind of stuff down the road. And this is going to have to be something. If you have a marketing team, you're gonna have to think about this before you uh, issue your campaign. There, there was a, a, actually an example of that um, just recently where I'm just trying to find it out quickly, but it was uh, on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, yeah. And uh, the Chicago, you know how in Chicago they they dye the river yeah, that green. goes to the town green? Yeah. Well, the, uh, the Chicago Bears social media team um, uh, edited the photograph to dye the river orange. Of course, orange is, is affiliated with uh, like the Protestant um, oh yeah, yeah. Re- religion in uh, in Ireland, <laughs> and and of course all the strife has happened, <laughs> oh and God. of course the tweet like disappeared, and uh, and of course you can imagine no one on the social media team ever would have like they just thought oh this is gonna be really funny we're gonna change the river to our color and uh, <laughs> anyway that's why it's also nice to have one old person on your team too yeah pretty With much someone yeah. who has went to a couple of history classes and maybe can connect some dots for you yeah. Okay, the last one we had to talk about today, and this actually talks about a couple things. It kind of brings a couple things we've talked about together is uh, the hockey referee, Tim Peel. So we chatted about him a year ago. I think we had just started the podcast up. Um, I can't remember when we actually started, but it was it was it was one of our earlier episodes. We talked about Tim Peel. He was the um, NHL. He was like a 20 year veteran referee. Um, really accomplished guy salary of, I Googled it. So I don't know, I think around $300,000 us, which is a handsome, handsome salary. And he got caught on a hot mic, basically saying that he wanted to give an early penalty to one of the teams, implying that it might not have been deserved, but he was kind of like managing the game as opposed to, um, just calling penalties based on the actual rules. Now this may or may not happen. And we've all seen questionable calls, but he's caught on the microphone And the NHL dropped this guy like a hot potato. And they said, dude, there's no room for this. We don't condone this. You know, fairness and justice and da-da-da-da. And they cut this guy loose and boom, he was gone to to purgatory. And so today, as we, I think it's today, it's March 24th when we're recording this, he sent out a tweet and let me give it a read. Just want to make sure I get it correct. Tim Peel, uh, he's Tim C. Peel 20 on Twitter. One year ago today, I made a major mistake. I chose the wrong words and paid a severe price. Everything I have is because of the National Hockey League. 
Gary Bettman and Bill Daly were incredible to me over my career. Hashtag NHL, hashtag hockey Twitter. And it's got um, r- roughly around 400 comments and, uh, and, and a lot of really varied responses. Tons of uh, commentary underneath, some very supportive, <laughs> some less so. And uh, so it brings up a couple of questions. Um, why, does, why does he send this thing out? Um, what what is he hoping to do? And we talked with this about the guy from the um, with the the sexist comments at the conference. Can you rehabilitate your reputation and career? Can you have a, a phoenix like moment where you come back? Um, uh, just a bunch of random thoughts around this. When you heard the story, what what were you thinking? I see you smiling even before you answer. <laughs> well, the, I, I read it and I thought this is like a statement that someone gives at gunpoint. It's like he's a, a bunch of disjointed sentences spliced together that don't actually sound like an, an apology. And then I looked down into the comments and I started laughing because like everyone who's saying positive things about him, he's responding to with like a, a heart or a thanks God. <laughs> Thank you. Heart, yeah. But oh, it's yeah. clear he's, he's not like he, he has no remorse whatsoever. He, even in, in what he says here, he's like saying, He's twisting his words hard to to try and avoid admitting he made any kind of mistake. He basically said he basically doesn't apologize. Actually, he says, I chose the wrong words. What does that mean? It I don't know. It, 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 I don't think it was the, it wasn't necessarily the words. It was um, maybe I said the words too loudly. Like it was the microphone was the <laughs> I said thing. the quiet part so, out loud. <laughs> And so there's a whole bunch of, um, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, but do you think that, first of all, like, I don't think there's any chance of this, this guy making it back in the NHL. So oh God, why, no. why, why this tweet? Why, why? Well, I think, so? I think he's probably, he's probably like starting a second career as some sort of commentator or some, some other thing in media. And he's using this as a springboard to, uh, springboard for that. That'd be, I, what I think anyway, but who knows? Mm. Like he's definitely not going to work as a NHL referee again. Like why would like to your point earlier about uh, the, the there being talented uh, CEOs out there who don't demean women. I'm sure there's talented referees out there who don't, you know, want to fix hockey games. Yeah. Yeah. I know the, um, the counter punching genius thing for him to do. This is the tongue in cheek comment, but he should go work for a sports betting company. <laughs> hey, the market opens up in early April, so there may be lots of opportunities. But if you want to just rub the NHL's face in it, go like you know, go all in. Say, hey, why not? Like, just double down. <clears throat> so, long term, um, I because I looked at the guy's bio now. He's and he's got a bunch. He's an analyst for this. He's a mortgage broker. In a way, you feel you feel you feel kind of bad for someone like this because. Who knows how many of those conversations have taken place before and since? Probably not a lot since, because I think his colleagues would have been. Um, and and forget hockey; it could be any sport. There's a management of the game that goes on. We've all seen plays that are where they're inexplicable penalties, especially if you're a Toronto fan. <laughs> You've seen plays where like, what the hell? What was that? And there is, as there is with any other job, there's levels and nuances to it. And maybe there's more to refereeing than just simply following that rule book. And so. Mm. Is he the guy that, that pays the price just because he said the the wrong thing at the or he said the right thing at the wrong time? So there's there there could be an element of that as well. So this is true. This is true. Anytime, but you know what? It, it just uh, like whenever you're in a position as a um, well, not he wasn't a spokesperson in this position, but he's he's in a position of authority. You have to treat really every moment you're 
you're out there on as one where anything you say could be in the headline the next day yeah. or in this case broadcasts across TVs. It is. It's a media training thing again, right? Like the only it thing is, that was yeah. different, the reason he doesn't have a job isn't because of what he said. It was because there was a microphone attached to his shirt. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. And so anytime that how many executives have you seen it, it, just over the course of the pandemic who said something on zoom or teams and they thought the call was over or they thought they were on mute and they lost their job. Like For it's sure, just, yeah. it's so easy. And so again, the best, uh, the best advice is to prevent it. Don't say it in the first place. It's self-moderation. I think there was even that, wasn't there a, a senior executive in around the Toronto area in the pandemic that was doing a, uh, a zoom call and they, they closed their laptop and thought that meant the call was over. <laughs> and the people on the other end heard the disrespectful things that they said. It was two years like, ago. It was an executive in the long-term care industry I think it's uh, Sienna Living was the name of the the company. It was a for-profit company. And this is one of their executives. I forget the woman's name, but I can picture her on her LinkedIn profile. But um, people, family members were upset that they weren't allowed to go in and visit. This is when they prohibited people from coming in. And you can imagine you have an elderly loved one there who you know has dementia or something. They don't know what's going on and you can't go in and visit them. And so they had a town hall meeting virtually. I don't know which platform, just guessing Zoom or whatever. Um, And they had a town hall meeting and the woman went through all the talking points. I'm sure they have a very expensive public relations firm. You don't work for them, do you? I don't. (laughs) I was going to watch. I'm going to watch your facial expression. So um, she's going through all of her talking points and like just the way she should, right? Uh, Empathy, compassion, thoughtfulness, strategy. Here's what's going on. And then she closes the lid of her computer. This is how I read the article. And she closes the lid, thinks the call's done, but her microphone is still working and the call is still open somehow. And she starts calling the people who were on the call. I forget the exact term. It was like blood-sucking leeches or something like that. And basically mocking them. And there's a there's a, an individual still there and he turns on the recorder on his phone, sends it to the media, and 24 hours later, she's out of a job. So, you know the best strategy is don't say mean things to people, right? Like everything you need to do, to learn to protect your reputation and keep your job. You learned in kindergarten, <laughs> be nice to people. Don't play with other people's toys, put something back. If you break it, say your story. You're, you're going to put us out of work, uh, Warren. <laughs> <laughs> the kindergarten strategy. Giving away all the secrets. <laughs> there's our, uh, there's a LinkedIn post in that. All right. Anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up? Uh, nope. That's it. Let's, uh, let's call it a day and let's get the next one on the books for next week. Sounds good, man. Great to see you. And uh, thanks to all our listeners for tuning in and uh, look forward to doing this again, hopefully next week. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review or recommend the show. See you next time.